from the back to tank the mandalorian edition i am michael flores your host and in the studio today with me is david sabal hello david dude i love this theme now <laughs> this theme is like one of my favorites all right and hello reyna how are you uh, excited to be here guys thank you yeah your very first mandalorian discussion right yes breaking me in good oh yeah we're gonna make sure you're you um Never mind. I won't say that. <laughs> Probably, you know, don't want to get sued. So, all right. So let's get into this. Today's discussion we're going to be discussing for today's show. We're going to be discussing chapter three of season one titled The Sin. Another fun and exciting episode of The Mandalorian. Fans of Star Wars have united over what everyone is calling Baby Yoda. <laughs> which according to some rumors could end up being just that actually and we're gonna get into that in just a moment that's right dave this actually might be yoda how do you like that for a teaser okay yeah now not just the internet has gone head over heels over baby yoda but the fucking effing world everywhere i go people are talking about baby yoda i watch a lot of business news during the day financial news even the anchors are finding some reason to bring up baby Yoda and they go on and they gush. That's the word I was looking for. And they gush over it during a financial news report. They're gushing over baby Yoda for a good 30 to 40 seconds. Dude, I'm telling you Christmas time, number one selling. They need product. to capitalize big time. Number one seller, even number more than seller. any black series you think. Oh, absolutely. Really? Because of how much people have gravitated towards this. I mean, it's gone from meme to worldwide phenomenon. You're right, Dave. It because really like, has. When I turn on like when I turn on like BBC or any of the or any of the television news stations, and they're talking about when are they going to release merchandise on this thing? Yeah, I'm like, please going, sell to us. Please. Okay, this is like the old Star Wars days. We're going to gladly grab our ankles and be like, please plow it in. Yeah. I need some Baby Yoda. Shut up and take my money. Yeah, yeah. this is a, uh, this is what Disney's been waiting for is kind of like that moment where yep. they basically go, okay, now we're going to just gouge everybody. Yep. And in less than two weeks, Dave, less than two weeks, the Mandalorian has not only turned Star Wars PR right side up, but it has created its first piece of marketable. I'd say this is their first true piece of of marketable merch that will become a staple of star Wars forever. Since Disney has taken over star Wars, this is their first huge win for merchandise. Baby Yoda is going to be the next big thing. And Disney has been trying to do this since they started with star Wars. They tried it with BB eight. They tried it with the Porgs 
and nothing's really connecting. Yeah, people like it, but nothing like the baby Yoda craze. And yes. this is what they were trying to capitalize on because George Lucas, or I should say this is what they were trying to create so they can capitalize on it. George Lucas always did things. He always had some little thing that everyone needed to get. He was the master of marketing when it came to implanting things that people wanted to buy in his movies. In fact, if it wasn't for George Lucas, we wouldn't have the toy uh, merchandising we have today. He is the person who ushered in this thing of, hey, tie in toy figures, tie in merchandise before Star Wars. None of that existed. So he was the king of that. And Disney has been trying to crack that nut. They've been like, what can we do? Is it BB-8? Is it the Porgs? None of it has worked. (laughs) None of it has worked. But it goes to show you that these things happen organically. You can't force it. Yeah. Arguably, dude, I see this being the one piece of merch. When they announce, and they've already stated. Oh, they they did. They're going to announce a plush that's going to get released of Baby Yoda. I'm going to buy it. People will line around the the stores for it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so hard to get your hands on. It's gonna be. It's I'll gonna knock be, somebody out to get one. It's gonna do. be like, like Power Man. It's gonna be like that. It's gonna be like I, I <laughs> from Jingle feel, All the Way. From jingle All the Way. It's gonna be like Power Man, and people will be running to store to yeah. store to store. Well, I know it sometimes you can pre-order it. this stuff on Amazon, and I did that with that like talking baby Chewbacca. That's how I got my mm-hmm. hands on that. Uh-huh. I didn't have to fight a bitch. I have a feeling that they may just release in their stores because Disney has so many deals now with certain stores, certain yeah. outlets yeah. that they may just release in those stores first for at least the first couple days oh, and then yeah. make it available online. Um, but yeah, dude, like you can't force these things. You can't. And you can tell that they didn't expect Disney or baby Yoda to be a thing because they're now working on merchandise for it. If they knew that this was going to be a thing, they would have already released the merch but they didn't know. And it goes to show you that these things cannot be forced. And that's what Disney has been trying to do, trying to do since they purchased Lucasfilm. They were trying to make that one piece of merch, that one character, that one droid, that one animal that everybody needed to get, that cute thing, the next Ewok, the next R2. And we have it in the form of Baby Yoda on Disney Plus's first show. That's pretty fucking awesome when yeah. you think about it. And all they have to do, and it was funny because like I actually was uh, on some toy forums that I go with a lot of uh, toy collectors and they, we've been all discussing about it. The easiest thing they got to do, make the plush, put it in, put it, put the packaging as the egg. Right. That it comes in. Aww. Oh, yeah. done. Look, Dave, You're that's done. some, David, you are, look at you. That's <laughs> actually pretty back, fucking Dave. smart. And uh, yeah, you, yes, if you guys have listened, listened to our last show, I scolded David. <laughs> I have my moments. But that's actually a really good marketing idea. But that's all you got to do. Yeah. And, and I guarantee. Oh, dude, I want that. I guarantee. Because, like, they did it in the, think about it. They did it with uh, the Disney, uh, Disney products in the park. You know, when you get the crate, your animal in the crate. Mm-hmm. And think, think about oh, how, dude, how much of a craze that was. <laughs> All I actually do. want that. I would carry it around. A little, a little what is it, a floating the crib? The floating egg, the floating crib. Yeah. And like all of us were in unison going like, this would be absolutely the most awesome product for Christmas. Yeah. And the, now for the me, scary part. An the scary awesome part. present for Christmas for me. I don't even celebrate Christmas and I want that for Christmas. So any listeners out there, 
wanting to woo me. The, the one thing, the one thing that I basically, even a lot of us are worried about. Imagine if they don't capitalize on this. Oh, come on. This is Disney, David. Oh, God. Bob Iger is already making little, like, yarn or, I don't know, crochet things of Baby Yoda. So somebody's going to. Baby Yoda. Yeah, Bob Iger called those sweatshops in China immediately. He's all, hey, uh, wake up every, (laughs) wake up up all the children. Wake up every child. The younglings. Uh, Iger, we closed down those sweatshops like 10 years ago. Open them back up. (laughs) Open them back up. Get little Wu to start slaving away now. Wow. <laughs> what? That's uh, Lee. <laughs> I'll pay Lee them 50 Wu. cents an hour. Hey, uh, hey uh, is Short Round, the actor that plays Short Round, <laughs> is he still on Lucasfilm's payroll? Oh. Uh, Bob, he hasn't been on payroll for like 30 years. Get him back. Get him back. He doesn't make products. Just because he's Chinese doesn't mean he works in a sweatshop, Bob. Oh. All Chinese people don't work in. <laughs> can, do they all need the Yankee hat? Because we can get that. <laughs> hey, you're Mexican, right? Um, I have family in Mexico. Yes. Um, <laughs> you want to say it, don't you? <laughs> get them on the phone. <laughs> yeah, dude, they weren't waiting a second. Bob Iger saw that reaction and his fucking dick got so hard. <laughs> He's like, I finally did it, mom. <laughs> It took me eight projects, but I got it. It took me 80 years, but I finally did it. No. How many years have they had Star Wars now um, since 2012? Took them eight years. Wait, I'm not good at math. Well, I'm also including his time with Disney in general. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's it's crazy. It's awesome. I think it's really cool. I think that, honestly, it's like we could be looking at like the next big like in the in the toy in the toy hunting field, it's kind of like called like, and that's something you do, Elmo by thing. the way, right? Yeah. That's something you know about. Maybe it's that's like why you came up with a good idea. It's like the tickle me Elmo thing. Remember when oh, tickle God. me Elmo came <laughs> out on that's Christmas? That's so homoerotic, and, and I like it. People people lined Walmart's and Target just to get it, and it was kind of like the jingle all the way Power Man. Did you thing. see the black market version called Tickle Me Butthole? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you went there. I think that's from our Adam and Eve people. <laughs> Adam and Eve. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So this episode, let's get into it. This episode was directed by Deborah Cho, uh, which is uh, my new love. Oh, fuck, oh, dude. Man. She did an amazing job yeah, with this episode. Uh, and this was written by John Favreau. I dig it. Everything they did in the way of story, the bigger story, uh, we always talk about what they need to do right with star Wars. We need that bigger story. And this is very peculiar, but we learned more about the Mandalorians in five minutes than we've learned about the first order in two movies. (laughs) (laughs) Scary, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like all they had to do was just show us character development and character drama get our characters talking a little bit like i'm not the biggest fan of exposition but i will give favreau a pass on that this week because we needed to push the story in the direction they're taking it and i'm not talking just the the immediate narrative i'm talking about the big picture of star wars i mean put that into perspective for a second or let that marinate i should say for a second in five minutes we learned more about the Mandalorian culture presently in this timeline, in this time frame, 
post Return of the Jedi than we've learned about the First Order. Yeah. And it only took them like five minutes. Yeah. And there's a lot of questions. That's another thing they did great this week. Questions like we had in this episode is exactly what we need in Star Wars because you're you're setting the questions up. You're posing questions and then you're not quickly knocking them out. You're setting them up. You get us intrigued. For example, remembering that due to the great retcon of 2012, Dave, we know close to nothing when it comes to the Mandalorians. Yeah, the only thing that we 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 all know is what we learned from Rebels, right. Clone Wars, especially Rebels because yeah. of the Great Mandalorian War. Yeah. Well, the Civil War, the yeah. The Civil War. But that's about it. Nothing about nothing else about like after the Civil War what happened. No, and exactly, Dave. So all we know, all we know of the Mandalorians currently is because of George Lucas and Dave Filoni's work on I believe the second season of Clone Wars is when they first reintroduced the Mandalorians because the EU went wild with Mandalorian stories yes that were fun for that time I fucking loved them I read every comic book I could get my hand on dealing with the Mandalorians books anything Mandalorian I wanted to get my hands on back in the 90s but George Lucas this is the reason why again my thoughts on Disney retconning I agree with it I agree with it because George didn't really pay attention to the expanded universe. He approved it. And then if he wanted to do something later in a TV show, like in Clone Wars or the movies, he didn't say, oh, you know what? Oh, you know, the book actually did this. No, he said, fuck it. And that's why we had a lot of issues of aligning when aligning it comes to every, the con- what everyone's saying. When, right. When it comes to the continuity, because George Lucas wished to reintroduce the Mandalorians in season two of the Clone Wars. And he worked with executive producer Dave Filoni, as you said, to rework this group, its history and its culture. And for the most part, it has been received well. There are a few fans, Star Wars fans out there who were really big fans of the EU, the expanded universe of the Mandalorians. But how much is that that they're a big fan of the EU or how much is it honestly like how much is it that they're a fan of Boba Fett? Because that's the that's that's the thing that I really get out of all the Star Wars stuff back then was a lot of fans seem to always connect. Oh well, Boba Fett did this. Boba Fett did that. You're Boba a fan Fett. of Boba Fett. You're not a fan of the Mandalorians. You're a fan of Boba Fett. <laughs> and which, as of right now, Boba Fett has never been confirmed to be a Mandalorian. He's not in canon. No, no, he. Because, like, it was let's not, talked about. Let's not get into it too much because yeah, that's a very – Reyna may not be aware of this, but uh, – It's a touchy subject. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Boba Fett fans. Yeah, Boba Fett fans are um, – I'm a Boba Fett fan, but, like, I can speak for the fandom, the fandom within a fandom. And sometimes they don't like you to discuss certain things. Like, no, he's a Mandalorian or yeah. no, he's not a Mandalorian. Well, he could be. Well, he, he could, could be. be. But we don't know. It's not really canon as of right now. Yeah, as of canon right now, it's not. As of right now, he's not. Yeah. If you can understand <laughs> so, the basics of who he is and where he came from, it's really not that difficult. People just like to make no. it difficult. Right. Yeah. Well, because we had all those old stories exactly. before Disney retconned certain things. I mean, at one point, he was a stormtrooper. Yeah. I believe in the Dark Empire series, uh, if you remember that, Dave, in the Dark Empire series, he was a former stormtrooper. Yeah. 
So there's a lot of inconsistencies. A ton of inconsistencies. So we just don't really know much about the Mandalorians post Return of the Jedi. We know a bit of them. I think the most we got was the uh, the Civil War mm-hmm. and the Rebels in Rebels. And of course, season seven of Clone Wars will also uh, not season seven. The new season coming out uh, in January, February, February, the first part of next year that will have almost everything to do with Mandalorian. So I'm I'm guessing there's there may be a connection of sorts between nice. it would kind of be a missed opportunity. Don't you think, Dave? Like, oh, absolutely. Because like, especially since Filoni is working alongside Favreau right. in this and with the upcoming rebel season, that's Filoni's final. That's his final act, so to speak. His swan song his for, swan his, song for Clone for, Wars. For Clone Wars. Yeah. And it all revolves around the Mandalorians and what, and simply in five minutes, it got me hyped for that as a star Wars fan too. You know, words like the great purge, right? What the hell happened? Dude. (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. Posing those questions, setting things up. There are questions that were presented in this episode. Number one being the great purge. The, as I said, the last we've seen of the Mandalorians was in star Wars rebels. And that takes place. Star Wars rebels takes place five years to about one year before the Battle of Yavin, before New Hope. So there's a lot of areas to explore what the hell happened post-Star Wars Rebels and then into the, the war between the Empire and the Rebel Alliance. The Mandalorians, it seems like they were um, very at odds with the Empire. So whatever this great purge is, it has everything to do with their relationship with the Empire. Yeah. But speaking on the Mandalorian canon and what we know of it. Um, there are some things that we have to talk about because there's a little, I don't want to say they're inconsistencies, but they're definitely things that need to be addressed. Something happened major pertaining to this great purge yeah. that changed the Mandalorians from star Wars rebels to now. The idea that they cannot take off their helmet does not add up to anything we've seen. Yeah, because then that doesn't make sense with, you know, where we saw Sabine. Right, or any of the Mandalorians. They took their helmet off like it was no thing. Yeah, the House of Ren and everybody. Yes, so I guess we can assume something big happened post-Rebels that, as they said, shattered their world and possibly them not... Taking off their helmet has everything to do with it. I'm sure it's going to be a cultural statement or a statement of pride, a statement of courage. As we saw in this episode, uh, the Mandalorian was challenged. Uh, He was called a coward. The idea of working with the enemy. And along, as I said, with that notion, it seems like they have given up their identities. Okay, because they had identities in Star Wars Rebels, in the Clone Wars. And in this particular scenario, it doesn't seem like they have their own identities and they don't identify as individuals. It seems like they only identify as Mandalorians. Mandalorians. And the thing that that is really interesting when you think about it as a Rebels fan, thinking back to that final scene of Sabine, Sabine makes a comment that basically Mm -hmm. it took her a long time to help her people. Right. Because after after the Empire fell, she made no she she made the comment in her epilogue speech that said that she had to go back to Mandalore to help her people. There was a lot for her to do. There was yeah. a lot for her to do and she couldn't go and go save 
um, uh, Ezra. Right. So, and I like all this for various reasons. The idea that taking off the helmet, and this is what I'm talking about, about developing the culture and under, and helping the audience understand the nature of the Mandalorians just through this five-minute segment. The idea that taking off the helmet is essentially hiding. To take off your helmet means you are a coward because you are hiding who you are. Yes. That was expressed when the armorer questioned the heavy infantry Mondo about his accusation that the Mandalorian was a coward. She asked if he had taken off his helmet. If not, how can he be a coward? We are both hunter and prey. Hunter and prey. I love this because the helmet is their identity. It is them. It's very samurai-ish. And remember, we were one of the biggest questions we had was, is he going to take off his helmet? And is he going to take off his pants? That's what I want to know next. <laughs> and I was, I was actually, I was actually in the boat that no, nah, don't make him take off his helmet. I like the fact that he keeps yeah. that helmet on. It, it well, is it's like it's like the samurai, Dave. Their sword is a part of them. Is it's an extension of, of yeah. their body, and to bring that element into this tribal group of sorts because the Mandalorians are very tribal and to bring that aspect in that the helmet is a part of them, just like he said in the what second episode about his weapons. That his weapon is is a part of him. Yeah. So I love all of that a lot. I felt, I felt like it was very strong. It's mythos building and poetic because typically when you put on a helmet, it's to hide your identity. It hides who you are. Whereas with the Mandalorians. It's different. Right. With the Mandalorians, it is who they are. And if they remove the helmet, that equates to hiding. So being a Mandalorian comes with its burden. It's not an easy thing to be a Mandalorian at this chronological point in Star Wars canon. You essentially have a target on your back. And that's the big question there. Why? Why are they in hiding? Why can only one person come out at a time? Who are they running from? If the Empire yeah. is is gone, right? It's been five years. This takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. The Empire has been... Um, marginalized to mercenaries and warlords, just small factions, I'm sure vying for power in different parts of the galaxy. Why are they still hiding? What happened? That's the biggest strength of this episode because they gave this series longevity. It's no yeah. longer about a bounty hunter hunting prey. The story after this episode has been cracked wide open. Well, the, with this episode and the past episodes, the parts that I really dig is the time that he's with his people, you know, like when he's talking with the armor and especially the one thing that has me really interested is she keep she keeps asking him, oh, has have have you chosen your signet? Because the signet is apparently something important. It identifies them. And he keeps saying, well, no, not yet. I have not been chosen yet. And. It's little things like that that really set apart the history of uh, of the Mandalorians and actually gives it some some yeah. teeth yeah. that we can actually actually enjoy. Yeah, there's a lot that was fleshed out this episode, and that's what I've been waiting for. And three episodes in, about 90 minutes total, we have a lot clearer picture of the world of Star Wars at this current time frame. And yet again, Dave, this is my, my just, I don't want to bring in negative negativity, but in 90 minutes, we have learned more about the world of Star Wars <laughs> than we have in two movies. I know. 
I know. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome. And you know, like it's, it's that 90 minutes that does kind of irk you just a little bit is like, just because it felt like a complete movie right there. It felt like a complete movie. This, all this. And why couldn't you just give it to us? I'm telling you, Dave, this was a movie. Look how those 90 minutes feel. You have your beginning, your middle, your end. First act, second act, third act. The, I, the immediate story is done. He went after the target and he dropped the target off with the client and collected his money. I mean, that's almost like a first movie of a trilogy. Is, it it's an like introduction. Yeah. And actually, just so for my own solace, Raina, does it bother you that it, it, the episodes are only 30 minutes long for Mandalorian? Or is no. it just me and Mike? It doesn't. I, I feel like they're slowly doesn't? seducing us into excitement, and I'm feeling it. I'm going to side with Raina now, Dave. I'm going to go back on what I said. I feel like 30-minute episodes are fine as long as there's a a full story. A full story. If I feel like they're like the first episode felt like they it didn't feel complete. It felt jarring. It felt kind of like a mess a bit. A Did clunky. I like it? Yes. Yes, it was a little clunky. The second episode was well-paced. There was a story there. Same thing with the third episode. So I don't care about running time. Yes, I'm a greedy Star Wars fan, David. And yes, I want more and more and more and more. I'd take two-hour episodes if I can. But if they're giving us 30-minute episodes, as long as they're done well in that amount of time. 30 minutes of substance. Yes. And look what they did in five minutes, as I, I said. It, it it boggles the mind. that, And I hate to say it, like, when you brought it up, I agree with you. Yeah. Five minutes, you just... You just moved the story of a race forward in five minutes and but not just the race dave also we understand now that the the, time frame the time frame yes and the fact that the new republic is officially in power yes because uh grief karga is that his name karga yeah karga tells the mandalorian go report this to the new republic so now we know that five years from return of the jedi the New Republic is, in fact, a working government. That's something we still don't know based on the sequel trilogy. Yeah. And, and uh, the best one by far is like the Mandalorian's reaction to when yeah. he mentions that. It's kind of like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that in itself, his reaction tells so much, too, because that's how people view the New Republic right now. Is like, you you serious? We're going to actually report to the New Republic. Yeah, and that's why this whole this time frame works, because whenever you have a, a change of power, there's always that power vacuum. There's always the the underbelly of society, the criminal element that always comes forward to take advantage of that time frame. So the fact that there's bounty hunters running wild and warlords and and a criminal element, it just makes perfect sense. The well chosen time to tell a story like this yeah um okay so let's talk development uh when it comes to the mandalorian himself he hates the empire that much is given yes also his connection to the child makes more sense now that we are starting to understand his affinity toward the foundlings which i think we can gather is uh the children the youth of the mandalorians yes it is okay and his potential traumatic past as a child we saw those flashbacks again Uh, Getting not very, we're not getting much more in the way of additional sequences necessarily. However, they did bring that back into play to help us with that human element. Because Mm -hmm. he is wearing a mask, at times it may be difficult to convey 
certain emotional aspects of the character. However, I feel like the actor playing the Mandalorian, his name eludes me. Pablo, uh, Pablo Pascal. Uh, Pascal is doing a great job. You have to find when you have actors playing uh, within a, a helmet of some type or a mask, you have to make sure you find the right actor because yeah. believe it or not, acting behind a mask is very difficult. It is because people think acting is facial expressions and the way you say something acting is a big part of acting is body language and mm. you have to be able to do that. You have to do the correct body language. And I feel like he is saying so much just with body language and it's worked pretty well. And I mean, like you could take a look at the difference between when you take Pascal's uh, work underneath the mask and then compare it to like regular pe- regular, some of the regular uh, people, the regular Mandalorians mm-hmm. or even the stormtroopers. the, you could tell like some actors are stilted and that takes away from their performance of that character. Like, you know, one of the things that was kind of off putting was the Mandalorian, oh, the Mandalorian, the heavy gunner that was uh, accusing him of being a coward. Yeah. His dialogue seems a little stilted a little bit, but that's because I honestly feel you're working underneath a helmet yeah. and a lot of, a lot of actors that's difficult because you're told you, you emote your dialogue with your facial expressions. Yeah. And that's much. No, dif- I agree. Dif- that's difficult when you can't do that. I agree. That was the only moment that felt a little off to me was when the, in, the heavy infantry Mandalorian was going through his lines. It felt stilted. It, yeah. It was a little off. And again, that might be just that human element we're missing. Yeah. There, there's a reason why the same actor is always hired to play the killer in a mask. Like yes. your Halloweens and your Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a reason why there's that, that go-to actor. It's because you need to know how to act. Mm-hmm. It's not just because he's a giant motherfucker. He's a giant motherfucker that knows how to act via his body, through body language. And if you don't cast the right people in those types of roles, then you're going to have those stilted scenes, those scenes that may feel uncomfortable. Uh, but it wasn't a deal breaker. No, I, I feel like overall that scene did a really good job pushing the story of of Star Wars, not just the Mandalorian, but the, the world of Star Wars forward in a way that makes a lot of sense. And it also connects uh, this character to baby Yoda. It makes a lot more sense that what he, why he decides what he does. Right. Because obviously the hatred for the empire, then the fact that the, his fellow Mandalorian reminded him that the empire is our enemy. What are you doing at their table? And then you willingly gave a child, an infant who can't take care of himself to the empire I mean, it played on his honor. And I know there were people out there that were upset saying, oh, he broke the bounty hunter code. No bounty hunter like him would do that. And I rebuttal. He is a bounty hunter. First off, I think there's a misconception. Mandalorians are not bounty hunters. They're not a cult. They're not a nation of bounty hunters. Thank you. (laughs) I think people think that. Yes, they do. A lot of people think they're just that's what they are. They're bounty hunters. You get the gist that they're working within the the seedy criminal element because they're forced to because they're in hiding that they're working as bounty hunters to provide for themselves currently but when it comes down to honor a mandalorian's honor he's gonna he made the right choice who gives a fuck about the bounty hunters guild 
when you're talking about the Mandalorian's honor, that's going to win every day if you're a true Mandalorian. Yes. And he made the right decision. And I feel like him making that decision, again, was a great moment for character development. And especially the way that they use, the way that Favaro put in the script for him to make that decision, having Baby Yoda play with the gear and then using that to remind him of Baby Yoda. And then that being the catalyst that said, all right, I'm going to fucking mow down some motherfuckers. Yeah. I I fucking love that scene. That smart writing, just little things like that is enough to get us to see that he's thinking. We need moments like that in a show like this because he has a helmet on. Yeah. So how do we understand what he's thinking? Moments like that. And and I love the fact that they didn't make the decision clear cut and dry. No. The fact of the matter is his job. It wasn't just to get money. People have this misconception. Get that, money. Number one yeah, job, foo. That was the whole goal for him. No. That Beskar steel is something important to it, the Mandalorian culture. It's something that was stripped away from them yeah. by the Empire. And that uh, that that typical that that piece of steel ties into their religion. To, to, it ties into their belief system. Yeah, it's not just because oh well th- uh, they're doing it for the money. No, the whole point about the Mandalorian culture is like it's part of the ritual. Yes, and and it all works, Dave. It all it's, works. It's logical and narratively it works with everything we know about the Mandalorian so far, and even things that we've kind of. A- Assumed, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Talk about Baby Yoda. What does the Empire or this leftover faction want with it, whether it be the mercenaries or the warlords? Now, before we answer that question, I think it's quite clear that Baby Yoda is, in fact, the myth arc of the show of the first season yeah i would agree with you with that because we had the setup the initial setup of the first episode being the client going after or setting up the bounty the mandalorian taking that bounty finding the baby i think we can say at this point that the myth arc of the first season the main story if you will is about baby yoda and the question they pose this week is what are they extracting from baby Yoda. Yeah, because it, it that one line that the uh, the client, Warner Herzog's character, talks to the scientist, he makes the comment about extracting samples. Right. Now, the most logical thing, items that they would be extracting, the only thing that really makes sense is midichlorians. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense. We already know this little baby Yoda is this child is force attuned. We already know because we saw it last episode. There's no question about it. And I know this word midichlorians comes with so much hate, but it's unwarranted to be honest, to be truthful about it. It's unwarranted. It's actually a pretty fucking cool concept, which we're going to get into in a second, but it being such a divisive thing, midichlorians, it's so divisive that so many People within Star Wars that are writing comics, that are writing books in this Disney era, they have made a very obvious attempt at staying completely away from it. Because despite some of George Lucas's 
less than stellar ideas throughout the years. And I, when I say less than stellar, I, I say 98% of George Lucas's ideas for me work for Star Wars. It's his baby. It's his story. He can do what he wants with it. Yeah. But the thing with the midichlorians, the reason why it always rubbed me the wrong way, again, not the concept, but the way it was introduced in Phantom Menace if it was this microorganism that helped an individual come in tune with the force or connect to the force, that's cool. But it's the idea that you can extract them through a blood sample. A blood sample. That turns something mystic and fantastical to something scientific. It marginalizes this this mysticism of the force that we've all grown up thinking the force was and turns into something more scientific. Mm-hmm. And that I think is most people's issue with the midichlorians It's not the idea of these microscopic life forms, especially when you really hear the true de- synapsis or explanation behind midichlorians. Dave, and tell me honestly, if you have a problem with this, okay, I'm going to read it to you straight from Lucas's archives, midichlorians, were intelligent microscopic life forms that lived symbiotically inside the cells of all living things. Okay. When present, they are not the force, but when present in sufficient numbers, they could allow their host to detect the pervasive energy field known as the force. So the force and midichlorians are separate. Yeah. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And a lot of people thought that the midichlorians were the force. No. The midichlorians were just a simple they were a bridge. symbiotic. It's a bridge. It's a bridge to feeling and connecting with the force. Now, knowing that, the true definition of the force, or I'm, I'm sorry, the true definition of midichlorians, if they were looking to extract midichlorians so they can put it into someone else, to experiment and give them the ability to tap into the force. That's the ingredients for some really diabolical shit. That's Emperor Palpatine. Dude, it sounds exactly like something Palpatine would do. And that's the next speculative thought here. What if this is actually, first off, let's pretend for a second. Let's go into the make-believe. Uh, let's go into the make-believe room for a little bit, okay? What if this is... What if this is actually Yoda? Okay. We keep calling him baby Yoda because we don't know anything else. What if it's a clone? A clone of Yoda? How diabolical would this be? A plan set in motion by Palpatine long before the fall of the Republic. When you think about it, the baby is 50 years old. Yes. This show takes place five years after Return of the Jedi the baby's birth syncs up to the time before the fall of the Republic, right when Palpatine was in the midst of plotting his takeover. Yes. And it would make sense that after, a, say, for example, we, go, we, we connected to the fight scene between Yoda and uh, Palpatine. Right. It would make sense that Palpatine would... Find a way of getting a sample of Yoda's DNA. Well, hold on. The fight takes place after, well after the 50-year mark. The baby would have had to have been born before even Attack of the Clones. You have to remember, only 20 years is between Revenge of the Sith 
and no, Hope. you're right. Yeah. So the 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 cl- if this were a clone, this could be a plan. I'm talking. It could be even. Let's see. Could it be between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, which would work when you put into perspective or take into account, I should say, of this massive plotting, the whole the sudden appearance of the clone army, the sudden appearance of the cloning facility on Kamino. All of these things that were set into motion by Palpatine, this would actually be very logical and make sense. It wouldn't be a stretch. So if this was to be revealed as a clone that was created during that time period, I don't think any of us would be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I think a lot of us would be like, aha, holy shit, that works. No, it does. Because like, why wouldn't Palpatine, a person who wants to unlock the very mysteries of the force, right? Why wouldn't he want someone who is possibly his equal in the force, but from the other side, the light, and he's the dark? The Why Master. wouldn't he want to experiment and say, I wonder if you clone something, a, a Jedi, would it have all of the attributes of, of that its, Jedi? Of that Jedi. Dude, that is fucking twisted. And why not actually choose Yoda, the most powerful of the Jedi Masters? Exactly, Dave. Now, I'm not saying Palpatine is directly connected to this show right now. I'm not saying that. No. But this plan of cloning this baby Yoda could very well be a plan that he had set in motion. Well, you know what name they could toss that would make it sense? If they ever mention the name Sifo-Dyas. Oh, if yeah. They, if, if they say that, if they mention that, oh, they got this this idea or this sample from Master sifo Yes. Then it makes it goes aha yes because you gotta remember in in uh, Attack of the Clones when Obi Wan first finds out about the whole clone army thing, it's a shock to him because and but they said did but, you approve of a cloned army yeah and they basically make the oh but you know your master Sifo-Dyas is the one who 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 started right. this yeah. this project. And then, you know, they, uh, Obi-Wan makes the comment that sifo hasn't been seen, yada, yada, yada. We know that story. Dude, I think it could be really cool. This could be the very thing that truly connects. And this would be something that Filoni would do. It absolutely would. <laughs> if this was anyone else, I'd be like, no, they don't have the balls to do it. Filoni, Filoni doesn't give a shit. Yeah, Filoni would. Look what he did with Rob. And when I say give a shit, he is, you, okay, we... Kathleen Kennedy always is sucking Ryan Johnson's balls for for willing to do something different and subvert expectations, right? You should probably say that about Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni understands Star Wars so much that it's almost like Lucas is writing much of Filoni's work because yes. he's so he's so inside of George's head. And when you are inside of someone's head you can make those logical story decisions that feels natural and feels i want to say cohesive to the ever-evolving world of star wars and if you look what he did with clone wars and if you look at what he did with rebels he takes bold actions bold actions decisions that could go horribly wrong look at the episode with with it's not time travel because it's not uh, but the whole gateway Yes. With Ezra traveling through essentially time that more complicated been, than that, that could have gone horribly wrong. But it leads into 
the thing that Filoni understands. I mean, one of the things that I notice that Filoni gets about George Lucas and Star Wars is Filoni even stated in an interview, George would say, what do you got? What's your... What's the difference? What are you bringing to the what table? What do you bring to the I table? I like what you have. He's always said this. I like what you're doing, but what are you bringing to the what table? What are you bringing to the table? What are you going to do different? And Dave Filoni gets it. And if he is involved, at, he is an executive producer. He's he's with Favaro on this show. Of course, this is Favaro's show. But we know that Filoni, when he was brought on, he's of course he's going to have story input. That's the whole point. He's teaching Favaro how to work within television because he's a feature film guy. So, Dave, it could work. I'm calling it now. I'm just going to say it. I'm that confident that this could be a clone. A clone. And honestly, Dave, I want it to be. And not because I need Yoda for any nostalgic purposes, but then we don't need to explain the the cardinal sin that Lucas has always called the cardinal sin. We don't need to explain Yoda's past. If this is not Yoda in some way, then suddenly we're going to be exploring his species. And the one thing that Lucas has never wanted to be, he never wanted explained is Yoda's past. He wanted Yoda to be almost like this deity type figure, a creature or character that has always just been the mystic, the mystic of the, the mystic character of his story. Yes. So this would be a great way in my opinion, to abide by his wishes and do right by George Lucas and still get the same effect without ruining the character of Yoda. Because just because you clone someone doesn't mean it's the same person. The person is created and becomes the person they are or the person we know yeah. like based on experiences and life experiences and the things that they go through. That's who, what makes a person, not by cloning an individual. So this can be the best of both worlds. Yes, this is Yoda, but it's not Yoda. Yeah. And and you bring up a very valid valid point especially in saying that he's learning he's learning to be a different person because the the whole point especially if you look at how a lot of the the scenes that that baby yoda is in mm-hmm. the way it's shot the way that the, the the character is reacting to certain things he's always watching he's watching it. and trying to to understand, oh, okay, that's what goes on. He's learning, and he's he's, and, yeah. he's learning by watching the Mandalorian and how the Mandalorian treat, d- treats the world, and he is going to be different because if you think about it, I mean, like the scene in the past episode where he's just disintegrating Jawas, right? The little baby's laughing, <laughs> and I thought it was the cutest moment. It was like he's watching him, and he's just like going, "Yeah, this is fun. Oh my god, blow him up!" <laughs> and I'm like yeah. going. Yeah, if this was if this was Yoda, I don't think Yoda would approve of this. <laughs> but, no, but, but I mean, he's also a child. Yeah, so. and he's a child, and he's learning. He's yeah. learning, like okay. But he also okay. has a pretty keen intellect and intuition. You can tell because every time someone bad comes next to him, what happens? His ears go down. His ears go down. I, I, I think that's the force is speaking to this little alien, this little baby. It's speaking to him and telling him who he can trust and who he can't. Well, you also got to figure out, yes, he's a baby, but 50 years, he's 50 years old. Yeah. So even in those 50 years, he still has learned something. Yeah. You know, so I'm happy with what they're doing 
I, I really am. I, I honestly I, was nervous about like, because I thought about this uh, idea too, that it might be a clone of Yoda. What about the midichlorian thing? Are you okay with that, with the extraction of the midichlorians? No, I've yeah. never had any problems with midichlorians. It seems like you and I are the only Star Wars fans who can see it for what it actually is. Yeah, because it's the execution. It, it really came down to the execution of the midichlorians. I the way- really think, Dave, if Lucas didn't do the blood transfusion yeah, the or blood, the blood, <laughs> extraction, blood extraction, that would have been, I think it would have been better. If he had Qui-Gon like, do some type of, like, I sense something in the Force, and he just holds his hand out, uh-huh. and he... Like uses the force to like I guess like scan or sense midichlorians around or within Anakin, that would work so much better than than the whole using a Gillette razor because that's what he did. Yes, that's the only thing that makes I think a lot of people kind of cringe at it. Yeah, because it does turn something mystic into science. Science, yeah. and honestly. When you when you look at the definition of metachlorians, all they are is just a, a, a symbiotic, almost like a parasite yeah. that feeds off of the force. They aren't made of the force. They aren't – they're not the force itself. They feed off of it. They're, they're part they're, of the it's, ecosystem. It's so cool in my opinion and I just I, – I really wish people will give it a second chance. And maybe if the Mandalorian does this the right way, maybe this will be – the very show, Dave, that makes people give the midichlorian idea another chance. I honestly think it will. Because look at the timeline of galactic history as we know it for Star Wars, okay? So the very second thing after the universe is formed in the Star Wars history, the second thing, I should say the third thing, the galaxy is formed around a supermassive black hole at its center. Number three, the microscopic symbiotic organisms that allows the living beings to use the energy field known as the force and connects the living force to the cosmic force known as midichlorians are birthed by the wellspring of life. The father is born. The daughter is born. The son is born. Fucking Greek mythology. It is. It's very, it's very Greek mythology. There's nothing to scoff at about this idea. That's why when people, what was like six months ago when George's uh, concept for seven, eight, and nine came, was leaked, and he t- no, it wasn't leaked when he talked about it with James Cameron in an interview. Yeah, and then it hit all the blogs, and people were mocking Lucas's plan, his original plan for episodes seven, eight, and nine, and the inclusion of the midichlorians. I'm like. How are you mocking that? That idea sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. But the the problem is it's an idea that is very broad. It's a very broad idea that can easily be manipulated badly because it comes down to the execution You're of that. Absolutely right. You have these are the types of concepts that if not executed properly, it can come off the wrong way. So hopefully mm-hmm. Favaro and Filoni, if this is the route they're going, they have it completely planned out. I don't think they would attempt something like this half-assed. I have to think that they have it very well planned out. Yeah. All right. So the midichlorian, midichlorians. No, that's not what I'm saying. The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Is that the new name of the show, Dave? Midichlorians. Midichlorians. That's the spinoff. Uh, the Mandalorian episode three answers one of Star Wars fans Oldest questions. We finally know what the ice cream maker really is. <laughs> is, yeah. 
This is something that has hit the web the moment the episode dropped today. People were tweeting out, holy shit. Apparently, there's a scene in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back where the character, because everybody in the old movies have names and have spinoff stories in the old EU. Oh, yeah. The character's name is Wilro Hood, and he's not anyone important. He's simply a character running in the background when Lando makes the announcement to abandon Cloud City because the Empire has taken control. Yes. And in the background, you see a character running, and he... And it is an ice cream maker. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it is an ice cream maker. Okay. It is. It has been confirmed. Dave. Yes. Okay. He's running with an ice cream maker. So what do we have in this episode? We um, have the client <laughs> pay the Mandalorian with the ice cream maker that opens up with the steel inside. Basically it's a storage canister. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. It does. I yeah, love I, it. I was like going, Oh my God, for years, people were speculating what the hell this is. And when you think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's it, a storage it is such a, Only Star Wars fans, <laughs> and I'm including ourselves, only, uh, only us. We're the only fandom that's going to speculate about some random dude in the background running with something that really doesn't matter. It's just background. Yes. That's all. It's background. If you know the movie business, it's simply background. Here you go, dude. Hold this. We don't worry about what the uh, background actor was carrying in his hand. And the, the latest Hugh Grant film. We don't no. think about that. But in Star Wars, we certainly oh, fucking do. we do. <laughs> so I like that. It shows the attention to detail from the production side. And not only not only the attention to detail, but understanding the fans and, the what, fans. and the answers. The, yeah. the, even if it's a silly answer like this, it's, oh, yeah. they know that, hey, this is something that the fans have always We've wanted to know. Yeah. They've always speculated and wondered what it was. Hey, let's have fun and let's let's throw this in. And and. It really does reiterate what Favreau and Filoni promised us that this series was made for the fans. This yeah. is this is their this is their love letter to Star Wars. I mean, dude, it, the action sequences this week, the oh visual God, effects those were awesome. Now I know where the budget went. <laughs> I mean, I. I never thought I needed that. I know this is something that a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I wish we had a Mandalorian shootout where they're flying around. And, and like, yeah, OK, that's video game stuff. We're never really going to see that. That's video game stuff or things we'll see, we would see in the cartoons like yes. in Rebels and Clone Wars. But now nah, we're never going to see that in live action. And sure as shit, we saw it. Oh, my God. I, Dude, were you, were you shocked? I was very surprised. Because I, I kept thinking to myself, how the hell is he going to get out of this? I was, I was like, at first I was like, oh, the Carl Weathers character is going to turn be on his side and be on yeah. his side. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's them versus the, all the bounty hunters. Yeah. And then I'm like, going, how's he getting out of this? When I saw the, the uh, first Mandalorian on the jetpack just come flying in, start shooting people. Then all of a sudden the guy, the heavy Mandalorian with the, with the heavy, uh, heavy, uh, uh, you better get the gun right gun. or people are going to be like, David doesn't know his guns. <laughs> the heavy blaster. Yeah. Oh my God. That was so awesome. Yeah. Because it, it, it's one of those, it, it's one of those moments in, in this episode that had me just like giddy as a little, little fanboy. It, it dude, because this episode was, was, Fan service in, in a way oh my that, God, yeah. in a way that I don't know we can get in movies all the time because in movies you got to have a certain amount of maturity and giving out fan service sometimes sometimes feels just that 
And I'm sorry. The, the, but the, in a TV show like this, Dave, you can get away with it, especially because of the content and the story. Yeah. The, and knowing the context of what we just saw in this episode, it makes perfect, it makes perfect sense, sense to see it happen. And I never expected for something like that to happen so soon. And even leading up to that, Dave, I mean, the action sequence is blowing away the stormtroopers in such a Western fashion. Now, oh my God, that was cool. this is a Western. Mm-hmm. They're no longer having that red sign or that red arrow that says, hey, guys, it's a Western. Look, it just is. It just is. Every action, that guy, the guy has the has the casual swagger of Clint Eastwood. He draws and shoots from the hip. It's an amazing accomplishment when it comes to directing this week. Deborah Chow, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of Deborah Chow after this episode because, like, she gets it. She gets, like, okay, I know I have to do a Star Wars thing, but I also understand that the whole selling point of this was a certain type of genre. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to stick with that because the first two episodes did that. I have to continue it on. Yeah, I loved it. It was good. And I even got giddy when... when it was a cheesy scene. I agree with a lot of people. Oh my God, that was so cringeworthy what, what cheesy. The, the one where he's flying away and then the Mandalorian on a jetpack comes flying next to him, yeah. salutes him, and the Mandalorian goes, I got to get one of those. Yeah, you know what? I'm okay with it. Uh, and I'm okay with I'm it. I'm okay with a writer having fun. You know, that was, I don't think a lot of people picked up on this, but that was. That was a call to Iron Man. Yes, it was. I mean, that scene was almost verbatim from an Iron Man scene. In fact, I believe Terrence Howard's character in the first yes. Iron Man looks at the Iron Man suit and says, I got to get one of those. Yes. So that's it's Favreau like, having fun. It's Favreau having fun. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the weaponry this week that the Mandalorian used was very Iron Man-esque. Oh, the multiple missiles. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> it worked. It fucking worked, man. <laughs> the whistling. And I love it. The whistling. I think they call it the whistling willows. Yeah. And I'm like going, oh, that's so Western. And then all of a sudden when the fight happens, I'm like going, oh my God, this is Iron Man. He's suddenly Iron Man, especially with his armor yeah. on everything. And I'm like going, this shows that Filoni, there's something to be said that you can, if you can tell that the filmmaker or the writer or the director enjoys his project it it transitions into the screen you know yeah and it makes it that much more enjoyable and you could tell that favreau was this was favreau i think this was the only time i could say that this was favreau having fun as a writer and as as a film he feels a little more comfortable he feels more comfortable you can tell um all right dave let's move into our final thoughts let's close out today's discussion uh final thoughts for me on this episode this series keeps getting better and better with every single episode. It started good on episode one, got better on episode two, and then continued to get better. And yes, this is this episode is actually better than the past two episodes, I feel. And that's actually a good progression for a series. You want to get better as your series goes along. And man, it says a lot that basically a lot of the directors... A lot of their choices that they did, they understand what the series is all about. And the only hiccup you could say is episode one, but we, we've discussed about our issues with episode one in verbatim at this point. In regards to this one, I think it's Deborah Chow. Yeah. Deborah Chow 
just hit a home run with me on this one. I love this entire episode. I joked with Mike saying that, are you ready to, for me to give another hundred? <laughs> and, yeah. And then, and then I, you and then threaten I, to throw things at me. Yeah. I will use the whistling thing. On you. <laughs> the whistling thing Dave, on me. Yeah. Dave, if you give this a hundred, you, no. you're going to lose your, your score privileges. I'm not going to give it a hundred, even though inside a, a part of me wants to, because of how much I love this episode. But overall, I would give this uh, episode a strong 90. Strong. Yeah, I think that's a fair grade, actually. All right. Give me your final thoughts, Raina, and give me your RMD score as well. Look at you Ooh. finally being able to use that score system. <laughs> yes. Oh, OK. Well, final thoughts, uh, emotions, man. I'm feeling them watching this. Just everything related, what they show and how that affects the Mandalorian even though you can't see what he's feeling, you kind of, if you're seeing and feeling rage, you know that that's what he's feeling. Um, that's what I'm getting from watching this all three episodes yeah. so far. Um, as for a score, oh man, I, I'm, I'm easy, man. I feel like I'm too easy on this, but I'm going to say at least a 95. Okay. Okay. 95%. That's fair. So my final thoughts, I love it. The show is fantastic. I, like I said, I feel awful about what I said about the first episode, even though I stand by what I said. We got to stand by it. I stand by it because mm-hmm. the first episode was a little wonky. Oh, no, it was. This, it was. But episode two and episode three, it just gets better and better. They have kicked open that door in the Star Wars world. They have pushed the mythos forward. And I will say it again, Dave, in two episodes, they managed to explain the Mandalorian culture in a way that they still haven't managed to do for the first order in two movies. <laughs> two movies. Amazing, ain't it? That's a fucking win. So I'm going to give this a 90% as well. Solid, strong episode. Excellent directing. Great writing. I Cinematography too. We didn't talk about the cinematography. Oh my God. The cinematography is just top notch. And we'll spend a little more time on that on our next discussion. I've been trying to save... We keep going over our time, but I definitely want to highlight and and pay some attention to the the cinematography on a later episode well, for sure. Honestly, dude, we could do a one show, a special Probably. Patreon show just on the cinematography of yeah, Mandalorian. No doubt. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to our third discussion on the Mandalorian. I think it's safe to say we got ourselves a winner here. Three episodes in, and I feel confident enough to say that. Uh, David, thank you. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 